The book of Hosea, starting in chapter 1. So we've just finished Daniel, which was kind of considered the last of the major prophets. So the, in my opinion, the order that we've assembled the Bible in, the way we, we read it in all the Bibles that we buy, is a little strange. It's not the way I would have done it, but apparently what they've done is they've done, you know, they went historical books, and then they went wisdom books, and then they went with the major prophets, which I think generally means uh, prophets who had a lot more words. Um, and then, then they go to what they call the minor prophets. And so Hosea is the beginning of the minor prophets. And so then they're in roughly uh, chronological order, I think. And uh, I haven't studied this. This is just my perception, so I could be off. But Hosea goes way back in time from where Daniel was. Daniel was the, kind of towards the end of the time of exile. And we had read things that were actually further in the time of exile in the historical books, such as Esther. But those, that was in historical books. And then so then we went back in time, you know, starting with Jeremiah and... Uh, I, excuse me, Isaiah before that, and then Jerem- the books of Jeremiah, and then Ezekiel, and then Daniel. And so then we, that was sort of a timeline on the major prophets. Now we're going back in time again with the minor prophets, which generally just means the books are shorter. And so Hosea is written from the kingdom of Israel when there was a divided kingdom. The kingdom of Judah was in the south, the kingdom of Israel was in the north. The kingdom of Israel... Uh, never had a great king. Some kings were better than others, but generally the, the kings were always wayward. The people were more wayward and rebellious against the ways of God. And so Hosea it lives in that time. Although it was a more prosperous, more populated nation, they had uh, nine or ten tribes versus uh, two or three. I, I'm always confused. So Biblically, it always talks about ten and two. Um, Jude, the the tribe, the country of Judah was the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. But I'm always wondering what happened to the tribe of uh, Simeon because the tribe of Simeon was smack dab in the middle of the tribe of Judah. So I don't see how they could be part of the tribe of, I mean, the the nation of Israel unless they all moved, and that's sort of not mentioned in the Bible anywhere where I've noticed it. So. That's why I always say two to three. I don't know why I'm hung up on that, but, uh, you know, anyways. Most of the tribes were part of the nation of Israel when the kingdoms divided, and therefore they were the larger tribe, or excuse me, the larger country, and they were uh, very prosperous and strong, and they were very materialistic at this time, and, and, um, you know, rich, but going away from the way of God. So... Hosea says right in the first uh, verse that he is preaching during the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. So this isn't the Jeroboam that uh, started the kingdom, but the son of Joash. So I think it's a couple hundred years after the kingdom split apart. And again, it's a time of great prosperity for Israel. And we've seen this before where actually it, it seems so far it's more common than not that the Lord has used his prophets' lives as a picture for the message that he's given the people. 
And so we see this in a, and you know, well, for instance, when he kills off Ezekiel's wife, I mean, that, that's a, that's a harsh, harsh message to carry. It's a harsh message, message to give to the people. It's a harsh message to carry in, in your own life with your own wife. Well, we see something kind of similar here with Hosea, where God tells him that he needs to take a harlot as a wife and have children with her. And this is because the country of Israel is going after other gods. And so he, the, he's commanding this prophet to basically live out a life exactly like God himself is experiencing with his bride Israel. So Hosea goes and chooses Gomer, who's the harlot, and she had a son. And they are to name him Jezreel because Jezreel was uh, the place of a major sin of the house of Jehu when Ahab and Jezebel committed a great sin against, I don't remember the man's name, but the man who owned the vineyard uh, there in, in Jezreel. Um, they committed a great sin by killing him and stealing it. And so he said, I, I'm going to take vengeance on Israel for this. He says, I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. On that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And then he has a daughter, and or he's told to, well, yeah, he, for he was told to conceive. He has a daughter, and the Lord tells him to name her Lo Ruhamah, and which means she has not obtained compassion. And for God says, I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel that I would ever forgive them. But I will have compassion on the house of Judah and deliver them by the Lord their God and will not deliver them by bow, sword, battle, horses, or horsemen. So he's saying very clear right up front basically what the end is going to be for Israel. And then he had a son and he names the son Lo-Ami because God says to and that means not my people. And for God says for you are not my people and I am not your God. So this first half of the book of Hosea is he's using the prophet's life and his own family to to be a harsh word against the people right up front to tell them that these people have not lived according to the covenant. We made a covenant like a marriage where I would provide everything for my people, my bride, and she would stay true to me and we would live according to our covenant. Yet she has gone astray and so these are not my people and then there's the flip side of this the promise of god starting in verse 10 yet the number of the sons of israel will be like the sand of the sea which cannot be measured or numbered and in the place where it is said to them you are not my people it will be said of them you are the sons of the living god and the sons of judah and the sons of israel will be gathered together and they will appoint for themselves one leader and they will go up from the land for great will be the day of Jezreel. So this is talking about a, a day when the people will be dedicated to him and will be united in one spirit under the Messiah, who is Jesus. And many sons of God will be raised up. So this promise of the picture and the purpose of God is right here amidst the, the promise of devastating his people who do not live according to his way. They're, the, the, the two sides are two sides of the same coin. The destruction of 
the harlotry and the rebelliousness of his people that do not live according to his way and the promise of a pure people that do live according to his way and fulfill his purpose for mankind. And then we're on to chapter 2. And then he goes on. So this book is a collection of poetry, and so it's very poetic. And and so, you know, obviously that's to be to be read in full. But I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to comment here and there. And he basically says, um, you know, contend with your mother, contend, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. And let her put away her harlotry from her face, and her adultery from between her breasts, or I will skip. He says, I will make her like a wilderness, make her like desert land and slay her with thirst. Also, I will have no compassion on her children. And, and sorry if I'm a little disjointed. I, I'm sure you heard the yelling. I had to go talk to my kids. Um, when you picture that, or when you remember that this theme of Israel as the bride of the, of the Lord God is continued on in the New Testament, with the people of God as the bride of Christ, the church as the bride of Christ, then you can see there's one clear message that goes through Scripture. If you start getting confused and think there's Old Testament, New Testament, then the old doesn't apply. I've had conversations this week like this. Um, well, you, you miss so much. You miss three-fourths of what God is teaching us. And when you see that the same themes apply, it's clear that it's one consistent message throughout Scripture. And so we can understand that these messages are completely relevant because when John in Revelation speaks of this great harlot and what will happen to it, well, guess what? The message of Hosea is about his people being a harlot. And the judgment against the harlot and the pulling out and the redeeming of a purified people. So it's very clear and seamless. And, and the idea that this is somehow separate from the New Testament reality just means you don't know the scriptures at all because it's one clear message. And so you can read this as speaking to our day and our future every bit as much as Revelation because God does not change. Starting in 7, it says, She will pursue her lovers, but she will not overtake them. And she will seek them, but will not find them. Then she will say, I will go back to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. For she does not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the new wine, and the oil, and lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore I will take back my grain at harvest time, and my new wine in its season. I will also take away my wool and my flax, given to cover her nakedness. So God is saying, I'm the one that provided the blessing. This is, this is an exact picture of our day today. We are an extremely prosperous. You have this massive chunk of people who are, um, um, we even without work today in this virus situation, and yet the government's just printing money out of thin air so that, you know, everyone's in pretty good shape. If you think about the amazing technology of the phone in your pocket, the TV, the car that you have, we are rich beyond belief compared to anything in history, even the poorest amongst us. And yet we are turning away from the one who provides the prosperity just as the Tower of Babel and the people of God again and again, as, as we see particularly here, but I mean, this story just repeats over and over throughout the Bible. Um, he blesses us, and then we've turned away from him, and then he pronounces judgment, and then he pulls out a remnant, 
who is a more purified version of the old people and they worship him and he blesses them and prospers them and then the story repeats so we see this happening here i will destroy her vines and fig trees of which she said these are my wages which my lovers have given me and i will make them a forest and the breasts of the field will devour them i will punish her for the days of the baals when she used to offer sacrifices to them so these people had turned to idols and were worshiping idols and thinking that those were the reasons for their prosperity instead of understanding that god is the god of prosperity God is the one that blessed them because they were their people, his people. They had made a covenant with him previously. You have the the uh, Western world who was blessed immeasurably because they were Christian, the Christian part of the world. And then instead of being blessed and growing more mature, instead we turned away from him and became more and more worldly, even <laughs> even when he's blessed us so obviously. And follow her lover so that she forgot me, declares the Lord, is how verse 13 ends. So 14 is interesting. I, I know I, I talk about Revelation 12 a lot, but it's just such a powerful picture of what God's doing today that I, I just see it over and over again in, in Scripture. Therefore, 14, therefore, behold, I will allure, allure her, bring her into the wilderness and speak kindly to her. Then I will give her vineyards from there in the valley of Achor as a door of hope and she will sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the days when she came up from the land of Egypt. So the, there's a bit of a, there's a difficulty when you're brought from a land of prosperity into the wilderness. That's difficulty, right? If someone told you, you got to go live as a person that's camping, you know, you get a tent and <laughs> you got to leave your house and you're camping from, from now on. That's an adjustment, right? Um, but he says, in that place, I will speak kindly to her, and then I will give her vineyards and hope. And she will sing as in the days of her youth, and remember what it was like to come out of slavery in Egypt when they were again in the wilderness. That you will call me Ishi, and will no longer call me Baali. Ishi means husband, Baali means my master, or my lord, or my Baal. Um, so th there's this closeness. You will turn to me like a husband instead of like a far off Lord. And that's also going to be a theme of Hosea of uh, truly knowing God versus knowing about God. In that day, I will also make a covenant for them with the beasts and the birds and the creeping things. I will abolish the bow, the sword from the land. I will make them lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice. So this speaks of a kingdom. What's the kingdom of God? Righteousness and justice. In loving kindness and compassion. And I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So it talks about a time coming when there will be unity, peace, righteousness, justice, compassion, loving kindness. It will come about in that day that I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the heavens and they will respond to the earth. So we see a remaking of things where current, you know, we're, we're in this transition of the second heaven and who rules in the second heaven. These things are being shaken up. Again, you know, Revelation 12 speaks of this. And, and so we see this alluded to here. We see a shaking of the heaven and the earth and a changing of the way things have been. And the earth will respond to the grain and to the new wine and to the oil. Even the earth itself is changing and becoming a, a place of blessing that... Um, grain and new wine and oil come out more readily, more 
um, you know, this implies going back to the Garden of Eden, where it was not fighting, you know, the earth was not fighting against man, but working with them and producing beautifully. And they will respond to Jezreel. Jezreel means God sows. So when you think about when Ahab and um, Jezebel um, killed the man who owned that vineyard and took it for themselves, that is very much a picture of Adam and Eve taking from the fruit of the uh, tree of the knowledge of good and evil when that was not given by God. God wanted to give them knowledge and wisdom over time. Instead, they decided to take it for themselves. So Jezreel means God sows. It's God's way. God who gives. And instead, uh, Adam and Eve took it for themselves, which ended up um, being a rebellion and being a making of their own way instead of God's way. So instead of God sows, it was man sows, which... Well, God said, okay, well, now you're out in the world and you're going to sow for yourself and it's going to be difficult by the sweat of your brow. And so Ahab and Jezebel did the same thing. They, they <laughs> took this land, this vineyard for themselves by killing, by not by the way of the Lord, but by their own power. So here God says they will respond to this, this old way, this reality. I will sow her for myself in the land. So instead they will become God's people who God is doing this, the sowing. I will also have compassion on her who had not obtained compassion. And I will say to those who are not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. So it's a people unified with God. And then we're on to chapter 3. And then, so now, Hosea's wife has gone off and played the adulteress, the harlot, and so God instructs him to go back and buy her back from these other men and, so, and take her back just as he is promising to take back Israel. And he says the sons of Israel will be without king or prince or sacred pillar or ephod for, for a long time, but afterwards the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. So this text talks about the messianic kingdom that is to come. And then we're on to chapter 4. In this chapter 4, God lays out his um, the, the, all the things that Israel has done that have shown their unfaithfulness to God. And verse 6 is one of the more famous verses in Hosea. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also I will reject you from being my priest. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also I also will forget your children. Really, it's just the first part of that that you hear repeated a lot, but the second part is a pretty powerful warning. And it says, "Do you know me? Do you know my ways?" If you don't, you end up in destruction because that is just the way of the fallen world. You Instead of having covenant with me, you have covenant with the enemy. My covenant is that you come into my ways, my wisdom, my love, my truth, and that you learn more and more who I am and that who I am becomes your life and we are united. And if you live other than that, well, then you're rejected from being my priest. No matter how much you say you're mine, you do not represent me since you've forgotten the law of your God and I will forget your children. You, you no longer are, are mine and so I must remove you from representing me. 
So when he says things like 11 and 12, harlotry, wine, and new wine take away the understanding. My people consult their wooden idol, and their diviner's wand informs them, for a spirit of harlotry has led them astray. So when the people of God seek the ways of the world, whether that's just basic worldliness, whether that is all kinds of of witchcraft creeps into the world, into the church. Um, but I mean, cause in, it's rarely called witchcraft. It's, it's usually, um, you know, new age wisdom that's crept in different forms of self, self, self help that don't come from the Lord, but come from human wisdom of bettering ourselves. It comes from transforming the, the wisdom and truth of God into watering it down with worldliness because we think oh well that's that's ancient stuff and we have better understanding now all these things are harlotry and going astray god says about these ways they have played the harlot departing from their god and even and and many of these things can be religious things that we think of as holy and pure because our our parents did it our grandparents did it and maybe for hundreds of years, these things have been thought of as true in our church, but they're not from God. They are the wisdom of man that has crept in, the mixture that has crept in. You have to understand, the people of Israel, a lot of times, I mean, they would go to these couple different cities and worship these golden calves. And they'd been doing it for hundreds of years, so they thought it was good. Remember the woman at the well that encountered Jesus? She said, well, we worship in this way. These are these people. These are, I mean, it, there's a whole lot of mixture between this time and that time. But still, these are the people. They worship God, but they had all their different ways. And she says, what's truth? You people worship that way, but we worship this way. And we got this from our father, Jacob. You know, Jacob is Israel, right? I mean, he's the father of the 12 tribes. And she says, we get our knowledge directly from him. That she thought they had truth from God. And yet there was all kinds of worldly wisdom mixed in. And the same is true in the church today. Even when we think our ways are holy, um, the wisdom of the world has a tendency to mix in here and there. And then... You keep doing that, you keep doing that, and all of a sudden we're badly off course. And God says, I need a people that don't just go after uh, the traditions, but they actually know me so that I can correct them when they're, when they're off. And, and what a blessed life to live when we can live and even we get a correction. It doesn't usually feel good to be corrected, but it's a blessing. And the more this happens, the more we realize, well, thank you, Lord, I don't want to be off course. And so he offers that to those who truly know him and walk with him and want to be corrected, want to live according to his ways. He, so Ephraim, remember, that's the same as Israel. Ephraim was the most powerful tribe in Israel. It's where Samaria was. And so it's whenever you see Ephraim, that's talking about the whole country of Israel. And he's saying, you know, don't, don't lead Judah astray. Judah was still more righteous than Israel at that time. And and then, you know, they will be ashamed because of their sacrifice. So, I again, read it for yourself, but I'm going to move on to chapter 5. And here we see Hosea is calling out to the priest, to the house of Israel, to the king. He's saying, repent and turn back to God. And yet he knows that they're not going to. He said they are swelled up with pride. Again, this is a very clear picture of, of uh, our world today. Uh, they're swelled up with pride, and it testifies against them.
Whoops, I, I thought I was just speaking and it wasn't recording, so that makes me wonder if I was sitting here recording when I was not speaking, or if <laughs> or if I just didn't quite hit the button. Anyways, uh, I will go away and return to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. So he's just talking about, yeah, unfortunately, we as humans, as fallen man, need we need this harsh discipline in order to wake up and turn back to God. And he says, and so I will supply this because otherwise they just go on in a worse and worse direction. And then we're on to chapter six. And this is a beautiful picture of what should we do in in the face of this? Come, let us return to the Lord for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day. Obviously, a picture of Christ, but also a picture of the people. If you think of, uh, uh, we have 2,000 years of um, this, you know, this time of the people of God since Jesus in a third day. We're coming into a third day, if a day is like a thousand years in the life of God, that he may live before him. So let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn, and he will come to us like the rain. So the dawn speaks of a new day. The rain speaks of new life, like the spring rain watering the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? For your loyalty is like a morning cloud and like the dew which goes away early. So this loyalty, like, yeah, I worship the Lord. You know, I'm, I'm here every Sunday. I worship the Lord. But then you go about a completely worldly life the rest of the time. Therefore, I have hewn them in pieces by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And the judgments on you are like the light that goes forth. For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice. So again, almost every prophet says this, but it's hard for mankind to understand because we we just want a religion. That the fallen way is just give me a religion where I can do X, Y, and Z. I can check these boxes and then I can live a worldly life. Well, their their way of religion was to do these sacrifices or in these burnt offerings, but God's saying it's not about the sacrifices in the burnt offerings, or it's not about whatever your religion is, whatever you know, different denominations, different people of God have the different things. If I just do this, then I'm good with God. He said it's not about those things. It's about living for me and seeking me that I can put my life in you, all the wisdom of eternity into you so that you're unified with me and living according to my purpose. That is what it's all about. And this chapter ends in 10. In the house of Israel, I have seen a horrible thing. Ephraim's harlotry is there. Israel has defiled herself. Also, O Judah, there's a harvest appointed for you when I restore the fortunes of my people. So he says, basically, this destruction, this judgment must come, but there will also be a restoration of a restored people unified with God and his purposes. And we'll end there today. God bless you.